the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. Uh, Out of uh, character for me this morning, I normally begin the week with a rundown of all of the news stories of the week. But there was one huge story on Thursday of last week, which didn't get covered on Friday, began to emerge on Saturday, which was the meeting of Team China and Team Biden in Anchorage, Alaska, which was actually an insult hurl and a um, an obvious uh, collision of visions for the future between the new presidential team and the old Marxist-Leninist team from China. Now, there have been four books in the last 10 years that have mattered about China. Kissinger on China in 2010, 2012, Graham Allison's The Thucydides Trap in 2015, and The 100-Year Marathon by Michael Pillsbury in 2016. Now along comes, and if you're watching on YouTube, I'm holding it up, Chaos Under Heaven by Josh Rogan, Washington Post foreign affairs correspondent, and it has now entered the pantheon of Looming Tower on this show. I'm going to be asking people, have you read the chaos under heaven when you come on for a variety of reasons, which I'll get into. Josh Rogan, the uh, author of Chaos Under Heaven, joins me now. Good morning, Josh. How are you? Good morning, Hugh. Thanks so much for having me on. Did you, um, were you surprised by that collision that occurred in Anchorage? Uh, No, I think, in fact, it was inevitable. I think that, you know, the Biden administration, given the reality of our relationship with China and the reality of American politics had no choice but to go to Anchorage and say the things that they said, which is that the United States could no longer remain silent in the face of an increasing Chinese Communist Party, internal repression and external aggression. And it's not surprising to me at all that the Chinese side is not happy about that. Now, it was surprising to me that they were so public and so bold, and so brazen. And we can talk about why that is, but on the one hand, it shows that they may see weakness in the United States, and they're testing the Biden administration. On the other hand, it, they may feel insecurity back at home. No, I, I wanted to point out that in Chaos Under Heaven, and the lunch rule is we have to say the book name seven times in each <laughs> segment in order for people to remember it and buy it. And I really do want every single person listening to go and buy the book from Amazon this morning. Buy it for your friends. It's not a Democratic book, not a Republican book. It's an American book because it's about America versus China, and it's the struggle of our life and of our children's lives and our grandchildren's lives. So go and get chaos under heaven. But it reminds me, Thursday's confrontation, that the same thing happened to Obama and the same thing happened to Trump. And indeed, it may be said to have happened to Bush with the Hunan Island incident, which nobody remembers anymore. But the Chinese since Clinton, have opened every presidency with a challenge. Well, that's exactly right. And, you know, you're, you're right about the book. It's not a pro-Trump book. It's not an anti-Trump book. It's not a pro-China book. It's not an anti-China book. It's just the best uh, I could do to figure out what happened in these crucial four years as our nation turned its attention finally to the rising challenge from the East. Now, what's funny about what you just said is that the 
exact Chinese official who delivered the exact same message to the Trump people at the opening of my book was Yang Jishir, the same official who delivered that message you saw on YouTube against Anthony Blinken on Friday. And that's not a coincidence. The Chinese government has kept up the same personnel because they have kept up the same strategy, which is to increasingly challenge not only the United States preeminence in the world, but also the world order that we built with our friends and allies. And while we keep changing strategies, they say their strategy has been remarkably consistent. And it's only recently that we've sort of woken up to that fact. Now, let me embarrass Josh a little bit. My quick review of the book nested in a superb page turner, and it really is uh, on the political knife fighting inside the Trump administration. And it's full of that. And it's the best reported book because everything I know to be true. I don't know everything to be true, but everything that I know to be true is in the book. And so I'm trustworthy of that, which I don't know to be true, because it's been uh, confirmed by careful reporting what I know to be true. Uh, is a comprehensive, necessary reveal of China 2021, headed towards China in control of Taiwan and the South China Sea, omnipotent power globally, an unreformed Marxist-Leninist superpower far more ominous in design and means than the USSR ever was or could become. They are the barbarians inside our gates, even though they consider us barbarians, and uh, it's a must-read, an absolute go-to and order it this morning book, because um, most people don't get this. We've gotten this on this show since, well, at least 15 years ago. But China has become the central dilemma of our time. And the Nixon-Kissinger years, their engagement strategy, repudiated by Nixon himself in 1994 in a conversation with William Sapphire, and most recently by Mike Pompeo at the Nixon Library, remains kind of a haze and a fog through which Americans walk Josh Rogan I gather it is your attempt to clear away that fog that led to chaos under heaven. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, as it turns out, the rise of China is a complex uh, thing, but not something that can be relegated to the discussion of ivory towers or just the China hands that have been mismanaging this relationship, frankly, for the last 40 years. And while I was writing this book, uh, urging uh, Americans to wake up to the challenge of a rising China in our academia, on Wall Street, and Silicon Valley and Hollywood, uh, something amazing happened. Actually, all, all of these institutions of American society started to figure it out from themselves because China's actions are, are, are outside of its borders all of a sudden started to impact everyone, from the NBA to the airlines to your local student at your local school. Uh, so that was a broad awakening that was already happening before the pandemic hit. And once the pandemic hit, then every human in every country realized that what happens in Beijing no longer stays in Beijing. And Chaos Under Heaven brings it all together, beginning with the most important point of the book. There is a genocide underway with the Uyghurs and other ethnic minorities in Zhejiang, and it began in 2014. It's expanded to genocide as formally declared by then-Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and endorsed by now-Secretary of State Tony Blinken in his confirmation hearing. There is no doubt about it, and everyone has to measure their complicity with it. Uh, and you detail it. I've had some people refer to the 380 camps. I've had other guests on who've hinted at it, described it. But you actually lay out the details, Josh Rogan. It may be the first major book that discusses the Uyghur genocide. Well, yeah, thanks for noting that. I spent a lot of time with Uyghurs who had survived the camps and the family members of Uyghurs who are still in the camps. And that's almost every uh, Uyghur journalist in the United States has family members in the camp. There's a reason for that. It's because the Chinese Communist Party has been targeting 
anyone with any foreign ties and literally disappearing all of their family members in its broad campaign of atrocities and coercion. Now, you know, what's amazing about the Uyghur story is it sort of puts a lie to this idea that, you know, oh, it's just these hawkish Americans who want to start a Cold War with China, which is what you'll hear not only coming out of the far left in America, but also coming out of the Chinese Communist Party propaganda outlets. And the truth is, and and I think Tony Blinken and Jake Sullivan would say this clearly, is that uh, it was actually the Chinese Communist Party that changed the relationship by committing mass atrocities and committing all of this aggression and repression, and we're responding to that. So it's not these crazy China hawks in Washington who want to start a Cold War. Uh, It's the world's response to China's actions as it rises, and the Uyghur uh, genocide is just the most glaring, awful example of that. Now, Josh, when I was a college student in the late 70s, South Africa divestment became an issue of campus activism. And it was a legitimate issue, and it did spur change in South Africa. Will divestment from China reach that level of student activism? Because it is a far, far cry from the other things that get people upset. It is just the decimation of a people. Will it actually engage the American imagination? You know, unfortunately, uh, a a campaign of boycotting China is is not practical because of the deep interconnectedness of our economies. But you are seeing on campus a rising activism against Chinese atrocities, but also Chinese Communist Party influence on those campuses. And what you're also seeing is a broad push for what we call limited decoupling. That's moving our critical supply chain so that if we ever get into, I don't know, another pandemic situation, the Chinese government won't be able to do what it did this time, which is to blackmail us by holding PPE and masks over our head while telling us to shut up about their handling of the pandemic. So in other words, this is another reason that the Cold War analogy is so poor and this Thucydides trap idea is so uh, uh, um, ridiculous to apply to U- the U.S. and China because China is uh, so big and so complex and will have the largest economy. So we can't attach these bumper sticker labels to the relationship and think that we figured it out. It's just going to be a new kind of challenge that really has no precedent, both in its character and also in its scope and scale. Now, the new thing that I learned, and I've had on um, you know all of these people, I've had on Pillsbury and, uh, and Graham Allison and Kissinger, is I did not understand the financial entanglement and the index fund reflex. Uh, we have 30 seconds to the break, Josh. I don't know if you can get it in, but this is yeah. truly menacing. Wall Street has been pumping trillions of U.S. dollars, directing it into Chinese companies that are building the military machine pointed at us and building the concentration camps. And that was a, some, something that Wall Street has orchestrated over 30 or 40 years. And now we're trying to untangle it. And you have to decide as an investor, do you want to invest in the concentration camps? Do you want to invest in the Chinese military? We need to at least know what, where our money is so we know what we're doing with it. And the money is now parked in index funds, which are cutouts for obvious Chinese government connection. Most people on this show know Pompeo. They know O'Brien. They know Cotton. Gallagher is a weekly guest. He replaced Pompeo as a weekly guest. They know Pottinger, Kissel, Alex Wan, Alex Gray, John Noonan, Nadia Shadlow. They're all guests on the Hugh Hewitt Show, and they're all members of the Nixon Seminar. My guess is these are the people that the Biden people will talk to, and everybody else won't matter to Team Biden. Uh, Well, yeah, that's largely right. I mean, in essence, you had a bunch of people that were working to change the government and the way that our government was pointed and what where the resources were, where the attention was. And those were the people that you just mentioned. And they were less concerned with politics and more concerned with policies. So when the Biden people look at that, they say, okay, well, what are the things that in government that we can actually save? And then they look at the political things and the things that people like uh, Bannon Navarro did, and they say, well, well, those things are politically poisonous to us now. So 
you know, what we find is that the people who actually did the work inside the government and who actually, you know, did the work that was productive, that's the work that's ultimately being uh, continued. And that includes a lot of sanctions. It includes a lot of uh, investigations. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't blame the Biden people for taking a close look at all of the Trump administration policies and going through them one by one. To their credit, they've, they've kept a lot of them so far. To, to, um, to make sure people understand, I saw people like Secretary Pompeo and Secretary Mnuchin personally get along very, very well. They respected each other's intelligence, though their point of views were different. But Mulvaney is the fellow that you pinpoint. I think Mulvaney was the problem here. I believe he was a pleasant North Carolina small town lawyer, state legislator, congressman who got thrown into geopolitics. And unless you study it for a life, you have no. I started in 1979 with Richard Nixon. You've been doing this for how long, Josh? 20 years. Yeah. So I've got 50 years doing it. You got 20 years doing it. And there is no excuse for doing it. You put the amateurs in there like Rex Tillerson and Mick Mulvaney. All they did was screw up stuff. Right. As it turns out, you know, it's very easy to destroy parts of government, very hard to rebuild them. And, you know, Mick Mulvaney's main problem was that he was so politically focused uh, that he ignored the advice of the national security experts and the health experts, by the way, especially when the pandemic hit. And that led to policies that not only resulted in unnecessary suffering from hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Americans, but also ended up harming the president's reelection chances because Mulvaney didn't want to believe that the pandemic was real. He wouldn't listen to O'Brien and Pottinger and Pompeo. And he convinced the president to delay uh, critical response measures in conjunction with the message that the president was getting from Xi Jinping, who was lying about the virus the whole time. So he also repeatedly back. cut defense spending at OMB, and then Russ, his uh, deputy, did it again and again and again. He was actually the disaster that happened in the course of this thing. I am curious, though, whether you think the presence of John Kerry and Susan Rice and Wendy Sherman, who you identify as weak links in the Obama chain of appeasement, and who are now back, will yield their place and their influence to people like Sullivan and Blinken, who are serious about China. They won't yield it easily, but right now uh, it seems that Tony Blake and Jake Sullivan have the ball, and that's shown by the fact that they were given the first meeting. Uh, but behind the scenes, you can be sure that John Kerry and Susan Rice are sharpening their knives. And the idea is to wait to see if, Ker- if Sullivan and Blinken fall on their face and then pick up the pieces. And there's also the, a clash coming when you know John Kerry is working on a parallel track to establish a climate change deal, including by working with the Chinese. Uh, when that comes to a head will be when he brings that to the president of the United States, Joe Biden, and then his former staffer, who's now his boss, so to speak, has to tell him that that's not going to work because the U.S.-China relationship doesn't allow for it, or, and then the president of the United States will have to make a decision. So the real battles over China and the Biden administration have yet to come. We saw a good start by Blinken and Sullivan in Anchorage. They would not back down. Josh, you did a lot of reporting for this. You accompanied uh, National Security Council Ambassador O'Brien, and full disclosure, very good friend of mine. On his trip to Phoenix, I couldn't go because of a conflict of interest, but he had a long talk with you there about the fact that it's a Marxist-Leninist party. People will not understand the Chinese Communist Party until they understand that Xi really believes. Do you believe what O'Brien was telling you about that? Uh, To a large degree, yes. I think one of the greatest uh, epiphanies of the Trump administration and, and what we learned from that era is that, you know, this idea of trying to change China to be more like us uh, didn't work, and it can't be our goal anymore. And we can't uh, pretend that we're in the process of uh, convincing China to liberalize. China's development is going to be driven by 
the Chinese people, whether we like it or not. And while we want to see change inside China, of course, especially regarding the atrocities, we have to focus first on dealing with China's behavior inside of our borders and inside the borders of our allies and our friends and our partners. So seeing China for what it is, not for what we wish it to be, and then speaking with truth and candor and then dealing with that reality is, I think, one of the things that the Trump administration got right. That's why we called the Nixon seminar uh, on conservative realism and national security exactly what we call it. It brings in most of the Trump alums who were in the hardliner category, along with some who are outside of the government, and gets them to focus on the reality, conservative reality. Now, I want to talk about some of the issues that you bring up. Uh, the only quarrel I have substantively with you is your characterization of Tom Cotton on February 16th on Fox as a conspiracy. He was on my show on February 18th. I began talking about COVID in the second week of January. And uh, Tom was careful to point out it couldn't be ruled out, which is different from saying that it happened. What is the extent of... Chinese Communist Party deception about the origins of COVID. Right. I mean, to be clear, what Tom Cotton said in February about the origin of the coronavirus uh, wasn't totally incorrect in terms of the words. What I tried to point out in the book, perhaps inelegantly, is that he said this at a time when China was blackmailing the U.S. government with masks and PPE that we desperately needed, and that that started a, a, a political controversy that actually ended up making the situation a little bit more difficult than it otherwise needed to be. But as we're learning a year after the start of the virus that the, the origin of the virus is still not known, and we don't, I don't know what it is, you don't know what it is, but we need to find out, not just for blame, but for scientific uh, understanding and to prevent the next pandemic, which will surely come. And what I lay out in the book is that the argument that human error involving the Wuhan Institute of Virology, the world's leadest, leading center of back coronaviruses, can't be ruled out and must be investigated. And even though that issue got politicized during the pandemic, it's still an open question and one that we need answers to. Josh Rogan, one of the heroes of chaos under heaven is Congressman Jim Banks of Indiana. Again, no stranger to this audience. I did not know, though, upon being briefed on the extent, and I'm going to have you discuss the extent, of Chinese influence operations in the United States, particularly through uh, the ubiquitous Confucius Institutes, he picked up the phone to the president of Indiana University and said, if you do not close it, you will not get another dime of Pentagon spending. It was closed later that day. I think the bank's uh, uh, example ought to be followed by every congressman in the United States. And if so, advised a couple over the weekend. He really acted on what is it's mind boggling how much they've spent in the United States to capture and influence our elite institutions. Well, that's exactly right. This is how the Chinese interference in our politics is much different and, in a sense, much more uh, dangerous than the Russian influence in our politics because they do it gradually over time with billions of dollars. And what they do is they capture elites in both parties and seed institutions with billions of dollars of money until they're compromised. And, you know, the Confucius Institute is a difficult one because they're all different. And the one in GW, where I went to school, which I joined to see if there was any influence, turned out not to be so bad. But at a lot of other schools a lot around the country, uh, there are real examples of real abuse, both silencing Chinese students, silencing, trying to silence American students and teachers, and also there's intelligence collection risks as well. So what Congressman Banks did, which was to use his influence and his uh, uh, power to shut down one of the Confucius Institutes, may have been a good thing in the end, but it can't be 
the way that we address this very complicated problem because this has to be dealt on a legislative and policy level. And we can't have every congressman calling up presidents of every university to tell them to shut down their Confucius Institutes. We have to have a better strategy than that. So I think that, you know, that's a, a good example of a story where the right outcome occurred, but uh, we really need to think a bit more strategically about how we deal with Chinese influence inside of our borders, which is a growing problem. There is also an ex- a great ch- section on the extent of the attempted and often successful organizational capture by the Chinese Communist Party of every international organization that they intend to dominate, beginning with, what, 13 out of 16 U.N. arms, uh, beginning with the W.A. I mean, it's really quite well. Richard Nixon said to me the first time I met him, 1978, Americans think in terms of decades, Russia and generations in Chinese centuries. They began and they have executed a flawless takeover strategy. It's amazing that the Trump administration found 26 U.N. organizations, 26 who had signed memorandums of, memorandums of understanding with China's Belt and Road Initiative. In other words, the U.N. was funding and executing China's economic aggression and China's economic strategy against us, and we weren't even aware of it. And now we're aware of it. The question is, what are we going to do about it? And, you know, I argue in the book that we have to reengage these institutions, and, you know, we have to look clear-eyed at the Trump administration. They made some mistakes, and one of the things, mistakes I think they did make was by withdrawing from a lot of these organizations. You and I may even disagree with that, and that on that, and that's fine. But in, in essence, the vacuum that we left was filled by Chinese actors and other bad actors, and that's why one reason why we have a U.N. system that's just lousy with Chinese corruption right now. I also want to point out, in Chaos Under Heaven, there is a primer on the tech war, which began in Team Trump years. You accurately, I believe, identify... Eric Schmidt and Google as being the prime problem in the United States. You accurately recount Mark Zuckerberg's turn. There is a great deal of tech compromise and a great deal of tech suspicion. Apple does not win any prizes in your book. But it is something that I think cries out for bipartisan legislation. We have to have a national security oversight of these groups, Josh Rogan, because the surveillance system Uh, AI, supercomputing, quantum computing, and surveillance are the issues on which, if China gains an edge, Dr. Kissinger told the Nixon seminar last uh, month, we will not get it back if they gain an edge. We will not ever get it back. Yeah, I think uh, China's uh, encroachment and investment and co-option of Silicon Valley is a huge problem that we have yet to really wrap our minds around. And, you know, what happened was when the national security community started knocking on the door of these tech companies, it didn't always go well because there's a lot of distrust between those two institutions. And, you know, we don't have a system like in China where the government can just tell all the tech companies what to do and they just snap into line. You know, we have to actually deal with these industries on a on a on on the basis of, of, of cooperation. And I think that's the key. That's the trick here is to start not only a dialogue about national security, but about how all of these industries and the national security community must work together to solve these complex challenges. Because, you know, in the end, you know, national security and tech and Wall Street and academia, uh, they're all one issue on the Chinese side, right? On the Chinese side, they, they think of this all together, and we think of these things all separately. And that's one of the big, you know, sort of uh, leaps that we have to make as a government, but also as a society. We, we really need smart people in positions of continuous influence. And here I want to turn to Matt Pottinger and Mike Gallagher, who share a uh, both of them 
uh, promoted to me by Robert O'Brien, who collected early on a group of people, even when he was special envoy for hostage affairs, working for Pompeo. He collected a group of these young people. He promoted Pottinger as soon as he got there. But I did not know about Pottinger's bills paper. I did not know about the um, the iteration of his two classified overviews. I didn't know about the Gallagher iteration of Bill's paper. It is clear that some people arrived with an agenda and they stuck with it and they demonstrated to young people how to move the ball. Well, that's right. You know, while the press was mostly focused on the politics at the top level, Bannon and Navarro and this and that, you know, there was something else going on behind the scenes. And you covered some of that, a lot of that, actually. And what I added to this was the fact that Matt Pottinger, the first day he came into the administration, laid out a document that was proposing a broad shift, and it was called a rebalance in Asia. And the idea was to reset the relationship, not to blow it up, not to take down the CCP, but to recognize that our, our relationship with China had fallen way out of whack because the Chinese government had changed because Xi Jinping had decided to take their system in a different direction, and we had yet to mount a, a sufficient uh, strategic response. And that paper, called, which he called Bill's paper, became the basis for a lot of U.S. policy that really continues to this day. And, you know, what I argue in the book is that the reason that guys like Pottinger and Gallagher and others were successful was not because they were so smart or because they were had such great Machiavellian bureaucratic tactics. It's because the Chinese Communist Party proved them right. Because yes. the argument was that the Chinese Communist Party was going in the wrong direction and the Xi Jinping went in the wrong direction and now we have no choice but to respond. You also noted in the book that Mike Pompeo was six months early. I believe Tom Cotton was also early. As a result, I believe in their in the top tier. I think actually China is going to be the issue in the 2024 election, uh, Josh Rogan. I think the issue in the way that Russia was in 1980. Agree or disagree? Yes, but I think I think it, it's inevitable that China will become a rising issue in the U- in U.S. politics. But I argue there's also a risk there that the issue can become overly politicized and that we have to make sure that we don't fall into that trap because that's exactly what the Chinese Communist Party want. They want to divide us. They want to play upon our social divisions and our political divisions. So what I argue continuously is that we have to find a measure of bipartisanship and American uh, uh, pride and American uh, ingenuity to, to come together to solve this problem. And if it becomes just the Republicans versus the Democrats versus the media, well, then that's going to actually play right into Beijing's hands. Last question, Josh Rogan, and we'll talk again on Thursday in a different hour. So more people hear about chaos under heaven. And I emphasize again, people, you need to go read this and give it to people. Go make it number one on Amazon. Um, a senior East Asia diplomat told me in person on Thursday that Taiwan will be absorbed by China by 2027. That is, that is Xi's plan. He is moving forward on it. It will not come via invasion. It will come via the Hong Kong tactics. Your assessment of that dire prediction? Well, I think, uh, you know, we have an opportunity to influence the course of events between now and 2027. And what the Trump administration showed is that if we stand up to China, the whole world doesn't fall apart. It doesn't mean we head into some sort of conflict. It doesn't mean we're headed towards a Cold War. Those are bumper stickers. Don't believe it when people tell you that we have a false choice between standing up to the Chinese Communist Party or doing nothing. So when it comes to Taiwan, I'm sure that Xi Jinping will we'll try everything he's permitted and allowed to do to, to exert Chinese control over that island, that country, that group of 23 million people who have been free for all of this time and have no intention of going back into a system where they're not free. And the question really is whether or not we're going to stand in his way. And that we can't do that alone. We have to do that with our allies and our partners. It's not going to be easy, but that's just 
with the situation that we're in, and you know, in my experience, America tends to rise to the challenge. I hope we will again. Congratulations, Josh Rogan. I hope you continue to, to cover this as comprehensively as you hand, have. We will talk again on Thursday for a longer podcast. Congratulations. Has the book been well-received? I've been getting tons of positive reaction except for the Chinese communist propaganda trolls. Oh, my goodness. You mu- I, I know what that's like, and they must be all over it, so I do not believe the Amazon reviews posted by poll- trolls. Believe me, America, go get chaos under heaven and do it today. Thank you, Josh. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership program offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Carol Platt-Lebow of Yankee Institute for townhall.com. Elite culture warriors have demanded that Pepe Le Pew, the Looney Tunes cartoon skunk, be canceled. New York Times columnist Charles Blow argues that the character's misbegotten pursuit of female counterparts somehow, in his words, normalizes rape culture even though he consistently becomes the butt of the joke. Critics justify eliminating Pepe from cartoons, arguing boys may imitate his undesirable behavior if they witness it. How strange, then, that the same elites praised the recent Grammy performances by Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion. Children are watching those, too. If there's a danger in emulating the message of a cartoon skunk, why can't they see the greater danger in the raunchy message and performance from real-life performers who are targeting our teens today? The cancel culture crew can't have it both ways. Are they really concerned about children learning unwholesome lessons from popular culture? A glance at the Grammy says no. I'm Carol Platt-Lebow. The Pepperdine School of Public Policy, America's unique graduate program for leaders. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu.